Section twelve of Eugene Onegin by Alexander Pushkin, translated by Henry Spalding. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Marianne. Canto the sixth, the duel, part two. Twenty two. He was in error, for Eugene was sleeping then a sleep like death. The pall of night was growing thin. To Lucifer the cock must breathe his song, when still he slumbered deep. The sun had mounted high his steep, a passing snowstorm wreathed away with pallid light, but Eugene lay upon his couch insensibly. Slumber still o'er him lingering flies. But finally he oped his eyes and turned aside the drapery. He gazed upon the clock which showed he long should have been on the road. 23. He rings in haste. In haste arrives his Frenchman, good Monsieur Guillot, who dressing gown and slippers gives, and linen on him doth bestow. Dressing as quickly as he can, Eugene directs the trusty man to accompany him, and to escort a box of terrible import. Harnessed the rapid sledge arrived. He enters, to the mill he drives. Descends, the order of Gallot gives, the fatal tubes Lepage contrived to bring behind, the triple steeds, the two young oaks, the coachman leads. 24. Lenski the foreman's apparition leaning against the dam expects. Zaretsky, village mechanician, in the meantime the mill inspects. Onegin his excuses say. But, cried Zaretsky in amaze, your second you have left behind. A duelist of classic mind, method was dear unto his heart. He would not that a man ye slay in a lax or informal way, but followed the strict rules of art and ancient usages observed, for which our praise he hath deserved. 25. My second, cried in turn Eugene, behold my friend, Monsieur Gallot, to this arrangement can be seen no obstacle of which I know. Although unknown to fame, mayhap, he's a straightforward little chap. Zaretsky bit his lip in wrath, but to Vladimir Eugene saith, Shall we commence? Let it be so, Lenski replied, and soon they be behind the mill. Meantime ye see Zaretsky and Monsieur Gallot in consultation stand aside. The foes with downcast eyes abide. 26. Foes. Is it long since friendship rent asunder was and hate prepared? Since leisure was together spent, meals, secrets, occupations shared? Now... Like hereditary foes, malignant fury they disclose, as in some frenzied dream of fear these friends cold-bloodedly draw near mutual destruction to contrive. Cannot they amicably smile ere crimson stains their hands defile? Depart in peace and friendly live? But fashionable hatred's flame trembles at artificial shame. 27. The shining pistols are uncased, the mallet loud the ramrod stakes. Bullets are down the barrels pressed. For the first time the hammer clicks. Lo, poured in a thin gray cascade, the powder in the pan is laid. The sharp flint, screwed securely on, is cocked once more. Uneasy groan, Galow behind a pollard stood. Aside the foes their mantles threw, Zaretsky paces thirty-two, measured with great exactitude, at each extreme one takes his stand, a loaded pistol in his hand. 
28. Advance. Indifferent and sedate, the foes, as yet not taking aim, with measured step and even gait, athwart the snow four paces came. Four deadly paces do they span. Onegin slowly then began to raise his pistol to his eye, though he advanced unceasingly. And, lo, five paces more they pass. And Lenski, closing his left eye, took aim, but as immediately Onegin fired. Alas, alas, the poet's hour has sounded. See, he drops his pistol silently. 29. He on his bosom gently placed his hand and fell. His clouded eye not agony, but death expressed. So from the mountain lazily the avalanche of snow first bends, then glittering in the sun descends, the cold sweat bursting from his brow. To the youth Eugene hurried now, gazed on him, called him. Useless care, he was no more. The youthful bard forevermore had disappeared. The storm was hushed. The blossom fair was withered ere the morning light. The altar flame was quenched in night. 30. Tranquil he lay, and strange to view the peace which on his forehead beamed. His breast was riddled through and through. The blood gushed from the wound and steamed. Ere this but one brief moment beat that heart with inspiration sweet and enmity and hope and love, the blood boiled and the passions strove. Now, as in a deserted house, all dark and silent hath become. The inmate is forever dumb. The windows whitened, shutters close. Whither departed is the host? God knows. The very trace is lost. 31. Tis sweet the foe to aggravate with epigrams impertinent. Sweet to behold him obstinate, his butting horns in anger bent, the glass unwittingly inspect, and blush to own himself reflect. Sweeter tis, my friends, if he howl like a dolt, tis meant for me. But sweeter still it is to arrange for him an honourable grave, at his pale brow a shot to have placed at the customary range, but home his body to dispatch can scarce in sweetness be a match. 32. Well, if your pistol-ball by chance the comrade of your youth should strike, who by a haughty word or glance or any trifle else yet like you or your wine insulted hath, or e'en overcome by wrath scornfully challenged you afield, tell me, of sentiments concealed, which of your spirit dominates, when motionless your gaze beneath he lies, upon his forehead death, and slowly life coagulates, when deaf and silent he doth lie heedless of your despairing cry. 33. Eugene, his pistol yet in hand, and with remorseful anguish filled, gazing on Lenski's course did stand. Zaretsky shouted, Why, he's killed! Killed! At this dreadful exclamation Onegin went with trepidation and the attendants called in haste. Most carefully Zaretsky placed within his sledge the stiffened course, and hurried home his awful fright. Conscious of death approximate, loud paused the earth each panting horse, his bit with foam besprinkled o'er, and homeward like an arrow tore. Thirty-four. 
34. My friends, the poet ye regret, when hope's delightful flower but bloomed in bud of promise incomplete, the manly toga scarce assumed, he perished, where his troubled dreams and where the admirable streams of youthful impulse, reverie, tender and elevated, free, and where tempestuous love's desires, the thirst of knowledge and of fame, horror of sinfulness and shame, imagination's sacred fires, ye shadows of a life more high, ye dreams of heavenly poesy. 35. Perchance to benefit mankind, or but for fame he saw the light, his lyre, to silence now consigned, resounding through all ages might have echoed to eternity. With worldly honors, it may be, fortune the poet had repaid. It may be that his martyred shade carried a truth divine away, that, for the century designed, had perished a creative mind, and past the threshold of decay he ne'er shall hear time's eulogy, the blessings of humanity. 36. Or, may it be, the bard had passed a life in common with the rest, vanished his youthful years at last, the fire extinguished in his breast, and many things had changed his life, the muse abandoned, tain a wife, inhabited the country, clad in dressing-gown, a cuckold glad, a life of fact, not fiction, led, at forty suffered from the gout, eaten, drunk, gossiped and grown stout, and finally, upon his bed, had finished life amid his sons, doctors and women, sobs and groans. 37. But howsoe'er his lot were cast, alas, the youthful lover slain, poetical enthusiast, a friendly hand thy life hath ta'en. There is a spot the village near, where dwelt the muse's worshipper, Two pines have joined their tangled roots, a rivulet beneath them shoots its waters to the neighboring vale. There the tired ploughman loves to lie, the reaping girls approach and ply within its wave the sounding pail, and by that shady rivulet a simple tombstone hath been set. 38. There, when the rains of spring we mark upon the meadows showering, the shepherd plates his shoe of bark, a Volga fisherman doth sing, and the young damsel from the town, from summer to the country flown, whene'er across the plain at speed alone she gallops on her steed, stops at the tomb in passing by. The tightened leathern rein she draws, aside she casts her veil of gauze, and reads with rapid eager eye the simple epitaph, a tear doth in her gentle eye appear. 39. And meditative from the spot, she leisurely away doth ride. Spite of herself, with Lenski's lot long time her mind is occupied. She muses, What was Olga's fate? Long time was her heart desolate, or did her tears soon cease to flow? And where may be her sister now? Where is the outlaw, banned by men, of fashionable dames the foe, the misanthrope of gloomy brow, by whom the youthful bard was slain? In time I'll give ye, without fail, a true account, and in detail. 40. But not at present, 
though sincerely I on my chosen hero dote, though I'll return to him right early. Just at this moment I cannot. Years have inclined me to stern prose, years to light rhyme themselves oppose, and now, I mournfully confess, in rhyming I show laziness. As once to fill the rapid page my pen no longer finds delight, other and colder thoughts affright, sterner solicitudes engage, in worldly din or solitude upon my visions such intrude. 41. Fresh aspirations I have known, I am acquainted with fresh care, hopeless are all the first, I own, yet still remains the old despair. Illusions, dreams, where, where your sweetness, where youth, the proper rhyme is fleetness. And is it true her garland bright at last is shrunk and withered quite? And is it true and not a jest, not even a poetic phrase, that vanished are my youthful days, this joking I used to protest, never for me to reappear, that soon I reach my thirtieth year? 42. And so my noon hath come. If so, I must resign myself, in sooth. Yet let us part in friendship, O my frivolous and jolly youth. I thank thee for thy joyfulness, love's tender transports and distress, for riot, frolics, mighty feeds, and all that from thy hand proceeds, I thank thee. In thy company, with tumult or contentment still of thy delights, I drank my fill. Enough! With tranquil spirit I commence a new career in life, and rest from bygone days of strife. 43. But pause, thou calm retreats, farewell, where my days in the wilderness of languor and of love did tell and contemplative dreaminess. And thou, youth's early inspiration, invigorate imagination and spur my spirit's torpid mood fly frequent to my solitude, let not the poet's spirit freeze, grow harsh and cruel, dead and dry, eventually petrify in the world's mortal reveries, amid the soulless sons of pride and glittering simpletons beside. 44. Amid sly, pusillanimous, spoiled children, most degenerate and tiresome rogues ridiculous, and stupid censors passionate, amid coquettes who pray to God and abject slaves who kiss the rod, in haunts of fashion where each day all with urbanity betray, where harsh frivolity proclaims its cold, unfeeling sentences, amid the awful emptiness of conversation, thought and aims, in that morass where you and I wallow, my friends, in company. End of Canto the Sixth